Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Ancient Rome was not just a civilization of mighty legions and grand architecture and remarkable road systems. It was also a society of complex relationships and obligations guided by the deeply ingrained cultural norm of patronage. Patrons, people with high social, political, or economic status, provided protection and assistance for clients, people of equal or lower status. In return, clients were expected to publicize the patron's generosity and express their gratitude and loyalty. And if the patron called on them, they were expected to show up. But patronage and reciprocity also extended to the divine realm. Romans believed that gods and goddesses oversaw various aspects of life. And they often asked the gods favor and protection Just as clients depended on their earthly patrons for support, Romans looked to their patron gods for divine assistance. When soldiers prepared for battle, they called on Mars, the patron god of war, to assist them. When couples wanted to start a family, they called on Venus, goddess of love and fertility, to bless their unions. Romans believed if they observed rituals, made offerings, and showed devotion, their patron gods would help them. This divine patronage system mirrored the earthly one, reinforcing the idea of mutual obligation. Anyone who ignored the gods was suspected of hating their fellow humans and trying to disrupt the balance of society. For Christians in Thyatira, this meant making a pivotal choice. Good afternoon, family. Yes, it is. It is a great afternoon. I hope you're having a great Sabbath. And can I just tell you, we are halfway through our series on the Revelation, Churches of Revelation. So we're on on number four of seven. I don't know about you, but I've been having a good time. And so uh, I hope uh, you continue to really grow in understanding what God wants us to know out of these seven churches. Because these seven churches weren't just written for those seven churches 2,000 years ago. It wasn't something that God said to them and said, okay, well, now we can move on. It wasn't even just to say, okay, here's the historical churches throughout history. In fact, I think sometimes when we do that, we we go ahead and hurt ourselves because we say we only pay attention to the, the era that we're in. But in fact, all seven of these churches had a message that God wanted his people today to hear and to apply. And so my encouragement to you as we listen to each one of these messages, how does it apply to whole life today? How does that message Some of them fit very well. Some of them don't fit maybe at all. 
but each one has something in it. And so I hope that you'll listen and hear what God has to say to you. Also want to remind you that every week we've had a secret word. So if you haven't been a part of the series up till now, there's a secret word in there. And there is a, you know, something kind of cool at the end for those who know all the secret words and are able to solve the mystery. Um, And so... Uh, Pay attention. Last week, I had somebody call me out. They said, you did not say the word out loud. And I said, and I told you it was going to get harder. (laughs) It is what it is. I had somebody else say, I had to watch the sermon twice to try to find the word. And I said, (laughs) praise the Lord. That, that That is, you know, that is a good thing. So, you know. Hey, I rewatch my favorite TV series too, so that is what it is, you know? (laughs) All right, let's say a word of prayer. I feel like I need to pray before I jump into this. Dear God, I just really want you to speak. You spoke through John. I'd be honored if you speak through me, Lord. Pray in your name, amen. All right, so as is our habit with this series, we read the message together. And can can I just say, this is a long one. This is a long one, okay? Don't lose energy halfway through. There's going to be some terms in there that are going to make you want to lose. You're going to kind of try to mumble them. Say them. Just say it. Because I need your help, all right? Can we do this? All right, we're going to read it together. Here we go. Revelation 2, 18 through 21. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with plague, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end I will give him authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are shattered as I also have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Yes. And it looks like my time is up. So there we go. Um, Can we just go ahead and agree this is a hard one? There's some pretty rough language in there. In our culture, our place, and our time, there's some things that are in there that are really, really hard to read and to say out loud because it does not particularly fit the way that, well, I guess if you're on social media, maybe it fits some of it. But you know what I'm saying? It just is, the language feels a little rough. 
So what's going on in Thyatira? Well, let's, let's start off by just getting to know them a little bit. Thyatira is kind of the least significant of the cities, the, the seven cities that these churches are in. Somebody asked me what I meant by that during first service during our Q&A. And so I said, well, well, let me just say it. This is the way I should have said it then. If I told you there was Washington, D.C., New York, L.A., Philadelphia, Seattle, and Cleveland, which one would you say is the most insignificant of those cities? I leave it to you. I have my answer. I leave it to you. I have my answer. But the point is, they're all cities. They all have importance. It's just that some have a different elevation than others. Know what I'm saying? Cool. So one of the things, though, that, that Thyatira was known for, one of the things that Thyatira was very much known for was its guilds. If you're not familiar with what a guild is, maybe you've heard of the Screen Actors Guild. It's basically a group of people that come together for a common interest. Um, we kind of tend to think of them probably a little bit more in terms of unions. Unions have been in the news of late, right? There's been a couple strikes and things like that. And this is where workers will come together and try to achieve common goals for themselves, right? And so guilds were kind of a combination of that. But what guilds also had that was super important in Thyatira was that there was a social element to them as well. So it wasn't simply about promoting commerce or promoting work for the people within a certain industry. It was also about socialization. It was about community. It was about togetherness. So that was another element. Now, there were a lot of guilds in Thyatira. Like I said, this is what they were really known for, having these guilds. There was the Wool Workers Guild, Linen Workers, Dyers, Maker of Outer Garments, Tanners, Leather Workers, Potters, Bookers, Shoemakers, Slave Traders, and bronze makers to name just a couple, but it wasn't, they could move beyond just trades. They would also could include um, things like a guild for people who wanted to uh, honor uh, triumphant athletes. So there would be a guild of people that came together and said, our goal is to support athletes that are, are uh, you know, winning games and doing stuff. So we're going to do things for them. My personal favorite guild um, because I don't know, I think I, I don't, I don't know if I would have been eligible to belong to it, but it's a, called men in the prime of life. <laughs> I really couldn't figure out what it was that they did, but it just sounded cool to me. I imagine it was some pretty dumb stuff if, you, if it's men in the prime of life, right? It's like, Ey. Anyway, and I, I just, I have all kinds of thoughts on this. You can find me some other time and ask me my thoughts on what this could be, men in the prime of life. But like, you see that there's a wide variety of, of guilds, right? But what's really also super important to understand is that the guilds would have what was called a common meal that they would share together. And it wasn't like this was like, hey, if you want to show up, show up. This was, if you're a part of the guild, you're a part of the common meal. What was the common meal? Well, the common meal was going to be a, a meal where you came together before the patron god. Remember in the intro video, they talked about patronage and how important it is. Every guild had a patron god that watched over it, that helped them flourish, that helped them be successful at the things that they were doing. And so this this meal, this common meal that they would share together, they would eat that meal in honor of the God. It was dedicated to the God. And then there would be entertainment, interactive entertainment of a sexual nature. I'll go ahead and leave it there since it's an adventure Sabbath, okay? 
you follow me? And, but this was a very regular component of these meals. This wasn't like every once in a while. This was very well known. And it was in part of honoring the God to do this stuff. So you can see based on what we talked about last week, this is going to be a problem for Christian believers. Number one, they're supposed to stay away from sexual immorality. They're supposed to stay away from no other gods. And eating that meal, like we talked about last week, eating that meal wasn't just simply like, well, we know better. It was saying in front of your friends and community, I, this God, I'm asking this God to help my guild survive and be well. But remember what they said in the video, people who didn't take part didn't care about their community. It was showing a lack in that culture of understanding the good of the overall community. So you can see that Christians are going to find themselves in a real predicament in Thyatira. They're going to, at the very least, have a hard time earning a, uh, a living. And at the worst case, they could be outcast from that society because they don't care about the good of those around them. So what is Jesus going to do when he shows up to this community and starts speaking to them? Well, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to describe himself as the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. There's a few things going on here and I wanna move through them pretty quick. Listen to the podcast if you want the fuller description. The son of God is one of John the beloved, Jesus' disciple. It's, it's a very favorite phrase of his. He loves saying the son of God in the book of John, first, second, and third John. In Revelation, the phrase son of God is used only here. This is the only place in the entire book of Revelation where that phrase, the son of God, appears. All throughout the rest of the New Testament, but in Revelation, this is the only place. Why is this important? Well, Jesus is drawing a comparison between himself and the patron god of Thyatira. So can you guess based on that who the patron god of Thyatira is? Anybody here first service? Apollos. Apollo, pardon me. Apollo. Apollo, why would that, so what does that mean? Well, if you're not familiar, if, you, if it's been a while since you've uh, taken a Greek mythology class, Apollo was the son of Zeus. Zeus was the chief of the pantheon. And so the patron god of Thyatira was the son of Zeus, Apollo. And so Jesus shows up, and when he identifies himself to the people in Thyatira, he goes, um, I'm the real son of God over here. That's me. Not the one over there, that's not real. I'm the real thing. And then he describes himself as having eyes like flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. This is a throwback to Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, where a heavenly messenger shows up to Daniel and is described in almost exactly the same words. Eyes that flame like torches, his arms and feet shone like polished bronze. And this messenger comes with a message of judgment. And so Jesus is setting himself up as the son of God who has a message of judgment. The flaming eyes, what's, the, what's with that? The flaming eyes in that time of that place, a reader in that time would have totally understood that what Jesus was saying was that he had the ability to see into the person's soul. That he was able to read the person's heart and their mind. That he was able to know what was going on, why they were doing, read the motivations, and he knew the truth about every single person. The feet of bronze means that he's able to administer justice. That not only is he able to see what's true, but he's actually able to deal, crush what's not true. 
And so what adds a little bit more flavor and a little bit more fun is that, remember I said that there was a guild for bronze workers? Thyatira uh, uh, produced a special kinds of bronze that was only produced there. And so that bronze was burnished. It was a beautiful form of bronze. And so the reader, again, would be pulled into, oh, Jesus knows our community, burnished bronze legs. Okay, I see. The reader also would have been pulled back to Psalms chapter two. This is your extra credit for today. If you want to go ahead and get some extra credit, I would love for you to look up Psalms chapter two and read it through this afternoon. And what you'll see is how well it aligns with Jesus' message to Thyatira. Jesus is pulling a lot of information that a person who is familiar with the Psalms would have been like, oh, that's what Jesus is saying. Why? Well, one example is, Verse seven of Psalms two, the king, proclaimed the, uh, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Jesus actually quotes this in the gospels in relationship to himself. He's saying, I am the son of God. And so the reader of this is going to say, Jesus is God's son. They're gonna go back to uh, Psalms two and they're gonna start making some parallels. And I'll show you one more parallel before we're done today. So Jesus has some commendations for the church of Thyatira. He, he has some nice things to say about them. And I, and I want you to put it in this, because you read, if you are like me reading through this, you kind of get bogged down in the crushing things and Jezebel and all that stuff, right? And you're like, man, this is not a very good church. They're kind of probably problematic. But I want you to hear Jesus' words to this church. He says, I know your deeds. What are your deeds? Your love your faith, your service, your perseverance. And unlike Ephesus, where he says, you have forgotten your first love, he actually says the opposite. And he says, you are doing better now than you were before. So this is actually a church that is doing well. It's a thriving church. It's a church that's, growth is good, right? And especially growth in these areas, it's a good thing. And Jesus is saying, you're not staying stagnant. You're not going backwards like Ephesus. You're actually getting better at love. You're getting better at faith. You're getting better at perseverance. You're getting better in your deeds of later greater than before. I mean, wouldn't you like to have Jesus say that to whole life? Hey, you were good five years ago, but guess what? You're doing better now. You were good 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but your deeds today are better than your deeds were. That's the kind of, of encouragement. That's the kind of words you want to hear from Jesus. You're doing better than you used to. So this is not a, a church that's like a terrible church that's like in serious decline. But let me tell you something. It's possible for a little sickness to infect the whole body. You know, Skin cancer is very treatable if you catch it early. But if you let it grow, it can take a very healthy body and completely bring about death. And so Jesus sees a cancer problem and a cancer problem inside the church at Thyatira. He says, you're healthy, but guess what? There's a problem and we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. You've got a lady there. You've got a lady named Jezebel. That probably wasn't her real name. And, and before we get too caught up in things, Jesus, remember last week we talked about Balaam? Balaam's this prophet 
that tries to go ahead and get people in Israel to turn. He's on the outside of Israel. He's from the outside trying to pull them away from following God truly. Today, Jesus is talking to them about Jezebel. And in the story of Jezebel, if you're not familiar with it, is found in 1 Kings 16 through 21. Read it for yourself, 2 Kings 9. I don't have time to go through it with you all the way. But what you need to know about Jezebel was she was a queen of Israel who brought idolatry into Israel with her. And it started off as just like, hey, you can worship two gods. And then she started wiping out the prophets of, of God and, and promoting the, God, the, the prophets of Baal. And so when you look at the difference between last week, we have Balaam. This is a force from the outside. And this week in Thyatira, Pergamon was from the outside. Thyatira had a problem on the inside. They had a problem on the inside and not just any problem. Jezebel was a queen, an authority figure. So Thyatira had a authority figure. And by the way, Let's, let's understand that there were a lot of female leaders in the early Christian church, a lot of people. So this is not about female or male, okay? We had Balaam, male last week. We have Jezebel this week. What it is, is it's about bad leadership. That's what this is about. It's about a leader who knows better and is pulling people in the wrong direction from God. And God condemns that in Jezebel in the Old Testament, and he's condemning it now because this woman is coming along and saying something similar to what Balaam was trying to get to happen as well. She was saying, I have a special knowledge. God talks to me. I'm a prophet. And so I can tell you that God is okay with you. God is okay with you going to these common meals with the guilds. God doesn't want you to have to suffer. God doesn't want you to not be able to work and to feed your family. It's totally okay. And yeah, you know, there's some stuff there that we may not agree with, but we have the knowledge that those gods aren't real. And really we have the knowledge that Christ's uh, grace covers us. Same kind of message as last week, right? Just coming from the inside, from a leader, saying that it's okay. But let's take a look at Psalms 2. I told you I was going to come back. Psalms 2, 2 through 3. If you read through, you're going to see the message here. The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. How does that have anything to do with this? Do you remember when we were reading this together, the, the, the message to Thyatira, do you remember reading the word bondservant? Do you know the other way that word can be, that can be translated? Slave. So Jezebel, the, the, this leader is saying, we don't have to be slaves to God. Let's break the chains and we'll do what we want to do. And God's grace will be there for us. We don't have to listen. If God says, you don't, you know, just do what you think is best. Family, here's the thing. I know in our time, in our context, the word slave is a really loaded term. So I really want to be careful how I use it. I don't want you to hear it wrong. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that we are either a slave of God or a slave to this world. You are not, it's one or the other. And here's the thing about being God's slave. Where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. So the world is going to take that slavery and it's going to push you under and it's going to do bad things. God came to free you. 
But a lot of times we get confused and we think that God is trying to keep us our head under the water when in fact, we don't know what's best for us. Any of you who've worked with small children will know sometimes that what they think is best for them is not. And you have to protect them from themselves at times. And that's what's happening here in Thyatira is God, Jesus is calling out to them and saying, hey, this is some bad theology that's going around. You're gonna get hurt. And here's the thing, God dings them for not calling Jezebel out on it. I want you to know that when you have leadership that is actively promoting things that are un-godlike, we have a responsibility to say no. That's not right. That is incorrect. But they were being reticent about, well, this is, this is a leader. I mean, should I say anything about that? I don't know if I should say. I got to tell you, I feel a little reticent saying this because we live in a world where there are a lot of people screaming at each other right now. And so I feel a little like scared to say that you need to call things out because there's all, way too much nastiness in the world already. But can I just suggest the way you go about it could be important that you go to that leader and say, hey, I'm really concerned. I'm hearing this, I don't, you know, and the way that instead of just blasting it out to your, you know, wherever and being like, well, I've done my duty, I've called it out. The other thing to really recognize about this is this. Look at what Jesus says. I gave her time to repent. Jesus doesn't just say, oh, that's it. He gives this person time to repent. He points out the problem. He gives this person time. And then what I think is important to see here as well is who's doing the throwing onto a bed of sickness and who's doing the killing? I know this may make you feel uncomfortable, but it's Jesus. And what's also important to recognize is that later on, Jesus says of the people who are faithful in Thyatira, I ask nothing more of you. In other words, Jesus says, my job is to take care of this false teacher myself. I'll take care of it. You, yeah, call it out, say it's wrong, but I'll go ahead and deal with this person. It's also easy to look at that when you say killing children to feel really uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable. Can I just say I feel uncomfortable? But in that time, that place, what they were looking at when they said that, what they were looking at was the children are the, you know, in my best case scenario, my children carry on the messages that have mattered to me and that they do it better than I did it. And what can work for good also will work for evil. And Jesus is just saying, look, this message can't keep going. It's got to stop. And I don't know about you, but if my children are in danger, if they're being endangered, there's not a lot I wouldn't do to protect them. And God loves his church and he protects his church. And sometimes when we look at this church in Revelation, we forget today we live in a, in a, in a world that has a lot of Christians, a lot. But in that time, in that place, Christianity was fragile and a little bad doctrine could ruin everything really quick. And so God had to take decisive steps to preserve so you and I today could know the truth and could experience it because it matters. It matters. We want to know God as God is, not lies, but the truth. So when we look at this, it can come across as pretty harsh. But when I look at it, 
And you can have a different perspective, but when I look at it, I look at it as a loving God who cares about his church and gives everybody plenty of time to change their ways. That's what I see. The good news is that there is something for those who are victorious, just like every week there is. And this one is really fun. And a church that was afraid of speaking up, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the right to be judges with me. Jesus um, says to them, I am going to give you the authority over the nations. He's going to give them the authority over the nations. He's saying, you might, this is why you need to not be slow to speak up because I'm going to give you authority. You're going to rule with me. You've got to be able to speak up. You've got to be, say your peace. And by the way, nobody's more important than anybody in my kingdom. You think this woman who has authority figure is more important? She's not. All leaders are equal in Jesus' eyes. Everybody's equal. And I'm going to give you the ability to rule with me. But another really beautiful thing that Jesus is about to do is he's going to say, I give you the morning star. What's the morning star? In Numbers 24, uh, verse 17, Balaam from last week actually does something good. He gives a prophecy that's a good one. He says, a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. By the way, that scepter is that iron rod. It's the same kind of word there. A scepter will rise, emerge from Israel. This is referring to Jesus. And I, Jesus, in Revelation 22, Jesus leaves it without any doubt what the morning star is. It's him. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. Jesus is. Again, Jesus is playing with them because why? Because uh, the, the emperor, the Roman emperor Julius Caesar claimed to be descended from Venus. And the Romans believed that Venus was the morning star. They're, they're, they believed Venus was the morning star. And so he said he was descended from Venus and so much that they would actually put the sign of Venus, the zodiac sign, the bull onto their banners. And that sign became a sign of Rome's power and might, their ability to conquer the nations and rule the nations. And so Jesus says, you know what I'm giving you? I'm giving you the real morning star. That's me. And what does that do? It gives you the power to rule the nations. You have the power. You are not powerless. You feel powerless in Thyatira today, but you are not powerless because you will have the ultimate authority when I return. It's good news for the church. So family, how does this apply to whole life? I hope one of the things that you will apply to it is that I, Ken Wetmore, am accountable. It means if I teach something that's not right, you need to listen to what the Bible and God speaks to you, not what Ken says to you. It means that you shouldn't be just listening to every preacher that comes along just because they have the name of the denomination that's your favorite behind their name. It means you have to study the Bible for yourself and you owe it to stand up and speak what's truth and to say, that's not, that's not good teaching. That's not right. You need to do it lovingly. You need to do it kindly. You need to let Jesus administer punishment but you do have a right and a need to speak up when you see something that's not right. Not every issue is a mountain that you're going to die on, but there are some issues that are worth dying for. And people being in a right relationship with Jesus and knowing Jesus, that's worth putting your life on the line for. So how will you apply today's message? Well, I hope that you will know no matter what, that you, when you are victorious you will have the bright mining star.
you will have Jesus for eternity. How are we doing, Pastor Ken? We're doing good. Uh, I told you that these chairs don't work. I, I think I broke this one. <laughs> well, we're going to have to go back to I schools. guess we'll need to ask your daughter to ask for more money for our offering then. Yeah. So, uh, Amen. So. <laughs> See, because you look all comfortable and big guys don't cross like that. No? Okay. Well, Okay, yeah, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Thank you for that, sweetheart. <clears throat> you did open the door for her. I line, did. So yeah. yeah, I did. I did. Well, Pastor Ken, we got an interesting question. Okay. And I'm kind of I'm curious the way you're going to okay. answer this one. It says, it says, in the end of times, it is prophesied that we won't be able to buy if we don't have the mark of the beast. In Thyatira, they couldn't work if they didn't worship false gods. Did God provide them alternative opportunities for them to work? And will we have alternative opportunities in the future? Or will we have to choose between basic necessities and God? What a good question. And that's actually a question that really uh, doubles down on Revelation because they move forward in the book to talk about receiving the mark and doing buying and selling and whatnot. So that, that's awesome. Um, and so here's... Here's the thing. Um, I don't know whether God provided alternative means for people in the church of Thyatira or not. I think probably in some cases he did. I think in other cases he didn't. What we know from last week is that there was a martyr, somebody who actually had to give their entire life because of their belief system. So the truth of the matter is, as much as it's uncomfortable to say, sometimes God actually gives us the opportunity to walk all the way to the end of that faith walk. Mm. Um, you know, Elijah in the Old Testament goes down to this little stream with no food. And in his case, ravens show up and they feed him on a regular basis. And yet there are other times where we're told that the ravens don't show up. Mm. And the question then becomes for us, do I trust God no matter what? And do I believe that the main purpose of life is, is what's here right now? Or do I believe that the main purpose of life is connection with God and what's going to come later? And so, um, so to answer the question, I think that this is a faith walk with Jesus. Do we trust him enough to do what he's asked, even when it's inconvenient and actually hurts? Definitely. Well, you answered it. And let me tell you, if you guys have any other questions, the podcast is an amazing resource. Let me tell you, I want to say personally that between the podcast and what you've been preaching, you have helped me uh, learn more on Revelations. Instead of it being like a scary book, I look at it as a book of hope now. Ah. Yay. That makes me happy because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, Thank and, you. Uh, before you go, I think you got some unfinished business here. Oh, yes. You and our, uh, we have an ongoing, but I heard you lost your title to somebody else early. She's the queen of uh, rocks, paper, scissors, but I heard somebody beat you. So should I find them to do the rocks, paper, scissors? Um, yeah. That would be hard, though. So let's, you and I do it really quick. Here we go. Ready? I'm looking in your eyes. I think I know what you're going to do. Okay, here Rock, we go. Paper, paper scissors, scissors, shoot. shoot. Well, it's a tie. There we go. All right. There we go. I, I consider that a win for me. All right. There we go. All right. Family, we're so happy that you're here. As was mentioned, if you want to get more information, I hit probably about a maybe about 10% of what I was studied out on this. So if you want to hear more of it, 
be a part of the podcast. We, we spend at least an hour discussing this stuff, and I think you'd enjoy it. Uh, this is Whole Life, anywhere podcasts can be found. Noah, I want to say a prayer, and then you're going to help me, okay? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for our adventures. We thank you for the message of Thyatira. We pray that you would help us apply it to our church and our lives. We pray in your name. Amen. Is there something I always say at the end of this thing? I love you, church. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.